Hello, and welcome to the first JewishBoston.com podcast. This is Jen with my host, Jesse. Hello. We're super excited to be here with you all today. So what we're going to talk about in this episode is how we're going to tell you what's happening in the community. Whoa. Uh, I know. It's going to be very exciting why we're doing it in podcast form and who the two of us are and why do we feel like we're the ones who can record a podcast. We're complete strangers. Yes. We've, we've never met and we don't work here. So, and then at, to summarize, one of the things we're going to do, you're going to hear from Ariana, who is the artistic director of the Boston Jewish Film Festival, which starts next week. We're so excited about it. So with that, to our theme music. So welcome. I know I love podcasts, but why are we doing a podcast for Jewish Boston? Like, what is that for, Jesse? And I know this was a little bit of your brainchild and your your secret dream. So do you want to tell us a little bit about why we're doing this? Sure. So why we are doing this? One, it is a secret dream of mine to be a professional podcaster. Change of career. Yeah, change of career, career change. (laughs) There are so many things happening in the the community that are either on JewishBoston.com or not related to the Jewish community that people who are Jewish in the community would be interested in. And I was thinking that a podcast would be a very interesting venue for people to hear about that who maybe aren't going to the site. Maybe they are going to the site, but they didn't see something we're going to talk about. It's another way of sort of interacting with people in the community. And, you know, podcasts seem to be very hip now. Because I'm a hip person. I'm really cool. We're both very hip. (laughs) Very hip. And I thought this would be a great venue to talk about the the Jewish community and all the awesome things that are happening. It's fairly exciting. And who are you, Jesse? Like, why do you get to be the one who does this? Why do I get to do this? I am the content manager for JewishBoston.com, which we should say is a... um, initiative of combined Jewish philanthropies, which we will now call CJP from now on. You will never hear us say the entire thing again because it is too long. So long. Also, JewishBoston.com. I'm just going to call it Jewish Boston from now on. It is also very long. Yeah, well, Jews love long titles and... They um, also love acronyms. Acronyms, yes. Everything is an acronym. And so... We'll try not to use too many acronyms throughout the show. We will try. Like, call us on it. If you hear us saying acronyms, email us at podcast at jewishboston.com and say, please stop using acronyms. Also, I want to hear from people in the community. Right now, the only time I hear from people is if they work for organizations and they're having problems with the site. What I don't get to hear is sort of questions from people. Maybe they're looking for something specific. Maybe they're new. Maybe they're trying to get back into the community. And I thought a podcast specifically would be a great way where someone could ask us a question which you can at podcast at jewishboston.com, and we will get back to you. I'll send you so many questions, Jesse. Yeah, but I have a, a lot of anonymous um, questions from a J, and it's that'll be me. you. It'll be me. I'm sorry. Sorry in advance. But feel free to send us um, lots of questions or any feedback you have on the podcast. We're really excited to be here. So, Jen, who are you? 
who am I? I'm a really cool individual. Um, I get to have the privilege of working at CJP. So that combined Jewish philanthropies, I actually work here. So um, Jesse and I are co-workers here in the building and I work specifically with our young adult initiative. So that sounds a little crazy, um, but I work on a team with wonderful people and we get to do any form of engagement uh, in the Jewish community with people who are 22 to 45 years old, which is quite a broad range, but really awesome and encompassing of so many different types of people. And it's really incredible experience to be able to work with them all. Fun fact, when I first arrived, first time I heard about CJP, it was um, 22 to 39. So it's gone up since I've been here. We don't want to lose anybody. That's I know. Why. It's really just, it's 22, you know, till whenever. Till whenever. I mean, it has to fit your lifestyle and what's current in your your current uh, situation. So I think there's different places for everybody at CJP. The Young Adult Initiative is just one avenue in which people can engage with us. And there's so many other programs throughout the entire the entire building, the entire organization, and then again, through the entire community. And that's one of the most exciting parts. My job is to work with community organizations, aka every cool, cool Jewish group in the city and their young adult arm, I get to work with them and see all the fun events that are being posted on jewishboston.com. I get to work with the people that are planning those and get to enjoy some of the events for myself. And I wish I could go to all of them, but I I don't know if I'd ever sleep or if that would be physically possible to go to all of those events. But that's also a really exciting um, opportunity that we have here on the podcast is to talk to all of you about the events that you like going to and the ones that we like going to and seeing what all the groups in the area are doing and um, I think it'll be a lot of fun. If we return to uh, what, what we mentioned about why it's the two of us doing this, I think for the person listening who is maybe not involved and is trying to find something, I think for the reason the two of us are the two best people to do this is that we're the both... absolute best. Yes, we are the best. First of all, we're the best at everything. Yes. Second of all, we're both not from here. We both experienced coming to Boston and having to interact with the Jewish community as outsiders. Right. And it's a really daunting community. There's so much happening here. I think there's a lot happening here, um, but it's a a lot of unknowns. And for somebody who's only been in Boston one year, like myself, someone who's been in Boston 10 years like Jesse, or someone that's lived here their, their entire lives, at different points in your life, you're getting involved in different points of your Jewish identity. So where can you connect and where can you plug in to everything that's happening here? And Hopefully the two of us chatting it up uh, can help you all find what you're connecting to. So Jesse, why why don't you tell us where you're from? You're not from here. What brought you to Boston 10 oh, years ago? I am certainly not from here. I I was born in a warm day in <laughs> Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1981. Look at that accent coming out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where they have roads and cement and... Oh, goodness. Yes. Um, I was my, my parents were both uh, born and raised in you know uh, New York City and moved to Oklahoma before I was born. And so I was raised by New York Jews in Oklahoma, which was a very interesting experience for me. And I moved up here in 2005 for uh, grad school at uh, Brandeis University, where now I own own a master's. Do you own a master's? I was granted. I, received, <laughs> I think you receive a master's. I received a master's from Brandeis in Near Eastern Judaic Studies, which is as lofty as it sounds. It could literally be any part of Jewish history. Rumor has it there's an acronym for that. What is it? It is NEDGES. Ooh, the NEDGES department. Yes, which is also next to the Hornstein program, which does not have an acronym. What? I know. A it's Jewish a, department without well, an acronym? Well, it's only one word. See, they if H it's one program. word. Yeah. Which nope. isn't really an acronym. But and they, they obviously can't call it the horn, so for obvious true. reasons. This is very yeah. true. I hope some people do call it the horn, because that'd be <laughs> funny. 
Um, and I, I studied American Jewish culture, which is what I loved and what I, I was fascinated by it because I, would, I was growing up in Oklahoma and people would make Seinfeld jokes to me and they would find it funny, but they would not find it funny for the same reason I found it funny. Like they were, they were taking a very like Yiddish type of joke and like expressing it to their friends as it was just a normal American joke. And that fascinated me because I was seeing like my grandparents and my aunt and uncles on TV, like being super Jewish. And it was somehow crossing Wait, over. hold up. Your aunts and uncles were on TV? No. Uh, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> Explain yourself Yes. Here. So uh, if, if we all remember Seinfeld, the Uncle Leo character. Oh, right? the character was yes. like the yes. depiction of, okay, yes. I'm following now. Yeah, sorry. I thought you had famous family members you've never told me about, and I was going to be a little offended. I do. I do have a, he's actually a first cousin who has been in movies, but I will not bring him up in this. But um, <laughs> You already did. <laughs> Shout out to Barry Friedman and the movie UHF, which is a great movie with Weird Al, which I'm guessing from Jen's expression, she has not seen. No, I haven't seen it. Sad. As you'll find out, my pop culture knowledge is very limited. You would think I'm significantly older than I am. It's okay. I'm surviving. It's true. You get by. You get by. I mean, the older I get, the less things I'm able to watch. So, which is sad. Oh, no. (laughs) Um... And so I, you know, I graduated from Brandeis. Um, I originally wanted to be a college professor. I thought that was sort of my, my life calling. My life calling. And, you know, just uh, sort of the economy and the sort of future of, of academia sort of proved that that was not going to happen. Through a series of odd jobs through the recession, I ended up finally at the place I always wanted to work when I graduated, which was the new Center for Arts and Culture. Which is an incredible organization, yes. and we'll definitely have them um, on at some point throughout this podcast and chat yes. with them. They're yes. a great group. Yes. Actually, on our next episode, we will have an interview with Laura Mandel. Oh, yes, we will. I've known Laura Mandel for a really long time, so that should be really fun. That would be great. Um, and then after the New Center, I worked at Hebrew College, and then I got hired on at Jewish Boston for to be their content manager, which is really just sort of the central connector to all the organizations and communities that are posting on the site, helping them out, helping them come out with interesting things to tell the community about on the site, and to help them sort of strategize the new design, which should be coming in a few months. And now you get to be a podcast host as a part of that job. now I get job. to be a podcast host. It, it is literally the best job I've ever had. It's a dream I'm job. Not, I'm not like blowing smoke there. Like this, I, this has <laughs> been the, ha- the happiest 10 months of my life so far. So There you go. It's already been 10 months that you've been working yes, here? Yes, yes. That's crazy. I'm on month number 13, 14? Month number 14. Oh my goodness gracious. That is a long time. That's a long time. I mean, it's not really a long time in the grand scheme of lifelong time. Well, it's a long for, time for me. For, for someone <laughs> your age, it's been a long time. So, hey, everybody, watch the age comments. J- that's joke one. <laughs> joke one for Jesse. Yes, joke one about Jen's age. Um, so, tell me why? How how did you get here? How did I get to Boston? Yes. Um, oh, I meant specifically this room. Oh, this room. Um, well, I walked down the flight of stairs. Yes. Uh, no, <laughs> I. I moved to Boston um, Labor Day weekend 2014. It is 2015 right now. So yes, Labor Day weekend 2014. Um, and I had quit my job in Minneapolis where I had been living. And I just decided to travel for a little bit and got a call about CJP offering me a job. And I said, I'm coming to Boston. So I'd always kind of wanted to live here in um, Boston. I have family out here. I grew up in Wisconsin. So the Jewish community is much smaller there, but it was wonderful and vibrant, and I loved growing up to be a part of it, but 
I was really excited to move to Boston and kind of engage and definitely just dive right into everything that this Jewish community has to offer. And it's been an incredible year and a few months. So I, I'm always looking for more to learn and ways to engage and meet new people. And it's just, there's so much going on in the city all the time. It's actually quite exhausting sometimes. <laughs> it is. And like when I when I moved here for Brandeis, I lived in Waltham, right? Mm-hmm. Where I, you, you have to have a car to get anywhere. And I was going to school at the time. So I wasn't really connected to the Jewish community at all because I was too busy trying to get this master's degree where I was reading thousands of pages a week, pre-Kindle, pre-iPad, where I was printing everything out, where they would charge you to print things out. Which... They charged to print things? Oh, yeah. Wait, I think they did that when I was in college, too. Yeah. So, Check that, never mind. <laughs> so, so you either, like, print it at home and keep buying, you know, uh, yeah, ink cartridges, cart- or you pay them, like, five cents. It was it was a sham Absolutely. and a tragedy. Yeah. It was a, a tram sham mockery. It wasn't really till I graduated that I had time to do anything, and then at that point, I had no money to do anything. Mm. It's a tricky, so, tricky situation. So for the, for the people listening who, you know, are maybe in a similar situation, I want you to know, I'm going to be looking out for you and finding things that you can do throughout town. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things to do really inexpensive in the Jewish community. Um, some things are free. There's a lot of potluck spots. There's, there's so many different options to still connect with your Jewish identity and not have to drop a million dollars for it. So That's it's true. pretty great. Um, I know when I moved here, like some of the first things I did were just meet uh, new groups. There's a lot of Jewish learning circles. There's a lot of Shabbat dinners. There's, and I think I kind of had a leg up since my job required me to get to know these groups and go to some of these events. So I was forced into somewhat some like uncomfortable situations. It's scary going to a new event by yourself. Um, but I think it was totally worth it. I feel like I know people when I walked on the street now. I know I had friends visiting this summer, and they used to make fun of me in Minneapolis because I'd walked on the street and know who people were. And they, Minneapolis is a bigger city than people think it is. So shout out to Minneapolis. But Boston is a much bigger city than Minneapolis. And so for me to know people walking down the street and only being here for a year, that's been a cr- pretty incredible experience. And it's like a feel-good moment. And you're like, oh, I'm not a stranger in this city anymore. So that's really great. And people really welcome you in in this Jewish community. So that's pretty wonderful. Two questions for you. One, yeah. which city is colder? Minneapolis, hands down, no question. Suck at Boston. <laughs> question two, have tourists stopped you and asked for directions? Absolutely. No. See, that that started happening to me, and that, that's when I felt like I belonged. When oh. I looked comfortable enough to be asked by someone how to get somewhere. I'm like, oh, I've offered I believe my this. directional services, actually. because And then I was told that was weird to talk to strangers. I was also told it was weird that I smiled at people in the elevator. So I've been really working on my serious face. It's not working so well. I have this really goofy smile all the time. Um, so I've been really working hard on my, like, my Bostonian... Oh, yeah, like the constant sort of growl face where, like, yeah, don't bother me. Yeah, not at it. And I truly I don't think people have that horribly here, but I've been told don't smile at strangers in the elevator. It's weird, and it creeps people out. So I'm really working on not creeping people out. See, like, th- th- there's, a re- <laughs> there, there's a reverse to that story, which is when my parents moved to Oklahoma, the, the, the first few times they went grocery shopping, the the person bagging it tried to take it out to their car and they constantly thought the person was trying to steal their groceries because oh, goodness. because you know that's not how things operated in in you know in Manhattan and and, and Brooklyn and they still they still get a little weirded out by how nice things are in different you know in, in the mid midwest slash southwest 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I find I find Boston to be a lot more sort of an, an honest city. Like I if, do. if someone really if someone's in that. your way or if you know if something's bothering you, you usually hear about it pretty quickly. Which is great. I love the honesty, straight in your face. Yeah, I so, think Boston is great. I think there's definitely there's a warm side to Boston too. People say Bostonians are rude. It's it's not always true. So. No, I'm, I would say I would say they're more honest, but they're also rude. I mean, <laughs> let's be nice to yes. Bostonians here. I'm just saying, like I, I feel like. Both cars and pedestrians here need to have a conversation about when you're allowed to jaywalk and when you're not allowed to jaywalk. It's true. Because I... My, I jaywalk all the time. I've well, totally adapted that lifestyle. My, my position changes depending on if I'm driving a car or walking. Mm, but I would yes. say... I like I like to wave cars in if they're trying to let me go when there's cars behind them because then they're causing traffic. Like, just go. You're a car. You could kill me. Like... You know. It's true. It's true. Anyway, that was a fun side tangent about about Boston, which will happen a lot because I have thoughts on things and they only come up so many when, on when, when they come up in conversation. I'm like, I feel strongly about that. <laughs> he feels strongly about rude Bostonians, yes. cold weather perhaps, and yeah. jaywalking. So these are some yeah. things to keep track of. Also, protected left turns. If you haven't heard about them, I'm not surprised because Boston doesn't have that many. I don't. I don't even know what that is. So a protected left turn is maybe not a side tangent okay, for now. Yeah, yeah. Side we'll tangent say, for later. We'll say. We'll say. I feel like Boston traffic deserves deserves its whole a whole full episode. There needs to be a separate podcast for that. Yeah. On Boston traffic problems. There probably already is. We should Most look into likely. that. We'll report back on that if we find one. Okay, so Jen, you're from Minneapolis. What is the Jewish community like there? Was it like growing up there versus what you see here in Boston? So correction, I'm from Wisconsin mm-hmm. and then went to school in Minneapolis. I apologize, was, I apologize. It's okay. There's a big difference between Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yeah, you say that, I don't believe you. There is such a difference. It is not a flyover state. It's definitely a destination worth checking out. Um, but the Jewish community I grew up in in Wisconsin, it was a small town. Small town being Appleton is 80,000 people. If you don't know where Appleton is, check out the Green Bay Packers. We're about 30 minutes south of the Green Bay Packers. So um, shout out to my Packers. But Appleton, Wisconsin was great. There weren't a lot of Jews in town. Our synagogue was tiny. There's probably 80 families when I was growing up. I think it's even smaller now. Um, I know my, my B'nai Mitzvah class had probably seven of us in it. And I think that was split between two grade levels. So it was a very tiny class. Um, we have, there's a part-time rabbi. He comes up twice a month to our synagogue. Otherwise, he's in Madison, Wisconsin. So I know my parents go still, but it's, it's a very small, intimate community. And it was wonderful growing up. I loved the kids in my class. Uh, my, I thought it was a lot of fun. I taught Sunday school when I, when I had my bat mitzvah. My brothers and I all grew up with a very strong Jewish identity and sense of Jewish community because we had this. But we were also the only Jewish kids in our school district. We were from a town next to Appleton, nice tiny little town. So we were the only Jewish kids in our school district. It was we had to fight to get off for the high holidays, whereas schools out here, such a transition is hearing my cousins who are in high school, they get out on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Like they just have the day off and it's just assumed that everyone closes. And that was a mind blowing transition to me that places were closed because of Jewish holidays. My mom used to have to call and be like, my child will not come to school today and you will excuse this absence. Or there was fights about like cross country meets. Yes, I was a dorky cross country runner. Don't judge me. But it was, they can't participate in your meet this weekend because you missed two days of school this week. It was always a constant battle. Luckily, I had amazing parents who definitely fought for us to have a Jewish identity and grow up in this 
small town, but also having that sense of a larger community around us. So I think it was always a part of me. And then when I moved to Minneapolis, I wasn't really involved. I went there for school, go Gophers. Um, they're very blurred identity lines with Minnesota and Wisconsin. Yes, um, but, but, but they're definitely two different states. So different, mm-hmm, so different. Okay. We'll get into that later, Jesse. Um, but Minneapolis like really showed me a nice Jewish community. I didn't do much with Hillel's, um, but I had a bunch of Jewish friends. I went to Rosh Hashanah um, with my his my friend's family. I would have a Passover Seder with a bunch of my friends, Jewish and non-Jewish, at my apartment. It was always like creating my own version of a Jewish organization. And then when I graduated, I was like, any 22-year-old, now what? Like, what do I want to do with my life? And I started working at a synagogue, actually. And I never thought in a million years I could, one, find a full-time job at a synagogue, and then two, find a full-time job at a synagogue where I worked like a bajillion hours a week because it was such a vibrant community. There was 2,200 families at this congregation, and I did all of the events. So it was just insane. Reform or conservative? It was a reform congregation in Minneapolis. um, Incredible congregation. So I really got involved and I was like, what is this community around me? And that's where I kind of started realizing that there was so much more to a Jewish community than just synagogue life that I had grown up with or holidays, that there were activities and fun things to do outside of it. So I had a taste of that in Minneapolis. And then when I moved here to Boston, all of a sudden my mind was just blown with how much Jewish community was around. So it was really, really incredible to see all of the events that weren't holiday-centric. It was very cool that people wanted to do things just based on Israel or a Jewish identity versus the religious side of Judaism. And I think that's one of the cool things Jewish Boston has to offer. There's so many events that you can go check out and like the listings of them all, whew, it's crazy. Well, thank you for that Jewish Boston shout out. Yeah, no problem. The more I, I swear he- I was not paid for that advertisement. The more I hear about your story, the more similar it is to mine, which is, um, you know, growing up in Oklahoma, there were not a lot of Jews, but apparently more Jews than where you grew up. Um, well, I should say yeah. there were more Jews in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I grew up in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which was a suburb of Tulsa. Mm. And in Broken Arrow, there were not a lot of Jews where I also had to fight to get off for the high holidays. And... My dad would have to call and fight with him so it wouldn't count against me. Especially complicated. In, especially in high school where they, they had a policy, and this is a terrible policy, and I don't know why they did this, but if you were below a certain amount of absences, you wouldn't have to take finals. What? Yes. I would I would have totally never taken finals. That was a oh, yeah, and neither very did determined I, but, good student. <laughs> and first of all, I very rarely missed school anyway. I was I was a goody two-shoes and liked learning. Um, what a nerd, Jesse. I, well, yeah, okay. Uh, I'm a secret nerd, too. It's cool. Newsflash. I'm a nerd, and I'm fine <laughs> with that. I've learned to embrace it. But they wanted to count the, you know, uh, the high holidays against me, and my dad was like, no. Yeah, that's really unfair. And but luckily, Boston now is such a cool city, and there isn't those opportunities. Hopefully, Boston can set an example for well, the rest of the U.S. <laughs> as a working adult, Boston has the reverse problem, is where we get oh, too no. many days off, <laughs> and like everyone's like, oh, you get all these days off in September. It must be so great. It is not great. It is stressful. Yeah. It is super stressful. Because, I think uh, it's lovely. I think it's respectable that we have like all these holidays. I mean, granted, not everyone has all those holidays off. Just Jewish organizations Yes, do. yes. I'm saying... Uh, so, correction. Yeah, yeah. Not, you know, um, the 
you know, all the uh, financial firms and hospitals are not closed on the high holidays and the other random holidays that I didn't learn about until I moved here. So I worked for a conservative synagogue for a short period of time. Growing up reform, I learned quite a bit that I did not know about. I was opposite. I grew up conservative and worked Mm. at a reform congregation. Very interesting. It's like we're bizarro people. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, You're tall. I'm short. It's great. It's really great. (laughs) Except we both wear glasses. So... Yeah, it depends on the day that I wear glasses. But like, I have a beard. You obviously do not have Luckily, a beard. Luckily, I do not. <laughs> what a crazy concept. Am I, am I evil, Jen? Uh-oh. <laughs> yes, anyway, we'll, we'll, my evil half. Yes, we'll have to come back to that that, that, that theory later. <laughs> so, I mean, so we both came from, you know, smaller Jewish communities, and we moved here. And I don't know about you, but I felt very almost, it was almost relieved in a sense, because my, my Jewish identity was very much in response to the fact that I, for a lot of people... I met who are either still my friends now or who are just acquaintances through school or teachers. I was like the first or second Jew they would ever meet. Mm. And so that, that was a lot of pressure, and I liked that pressure. I wanted to give Judaism a, you know, a good face for people because the, the things they knew were things they either learned in church or learned from their parents, and some, some, some of them were good, some of them were not good. But here it's almost, I found the freedom to sort of explore sort of the weird sort of neat, niche parts of my Jewish personality because I didn't have to look super or act super Jewish in a way because there are you literal, could just be there are literal super Jews walking down the street and by super Jews I mean Orthodox Jews and I don't mean that they're, they're the world's greatest Jews I just mean like they are Jewish they are doing you know I see them Saturday morning they're observant they're, they're observant <laughs> yeah observant's a better word than super yes they're observant Jews I too had a similar um, background I mean I grew up like this small Jewish community. I actually come from an interfaith family. My mom converted when I was young. So we we were always Jewish. We were always growing up Jewish, but um, we had to also like kind of do some exploration. And I felt myself like learning more and trying to explain more to my friends. And I got to kind of experience both sides of like, I got to experience Catholicism and Judaism and kind of learn about both. So it really helped me find like those balances and also helped me kind of secure my own identity as a Jewish individual. And then moving here too, it's, I'm now surrounded by this Jewish culture and this Jewish religion. So as I mentioned before, like there's so much more to Judaism than just the religious part of Judaism. And that's one of the coolest parts about Boston is that there is so much more. There is so much more. And I think, I think at this point, um, the, the listeners have probably heard enough about us. Yes. And I want, we, we want to hear your stories. So, you know, email us at podcast at jewishboston.com and tell us how you ended up here. I know lots of people who grew up here, moved away for college, came back. I know a lot of people who came here for college and stayed. I know some people who moved here for work. And everyone has their own sort of unique way they reacted to the Jewish community here in Boston. We want to hear from you. So, you know, email us or send us a, a tweet at jewishboston. It's just at jewishboston. There's no dot com. And you know, let us know one if you you know have an interesting story, and two whether you liked it. Um, I think now we should talk to Ariana from the Boston Jewish Film Festival because yeah. she was fascinating. This is a pre-recorded interview, so here she is. Yeah, here she is. Enjoy. So Jen and I are here with Ariana, who's the artistic director for the Boston Jewish Film Festival. And um, for those who don't know, the Boston Jewish Film Festival was founded in 1989 by Mikkel Goldman and has grown from 10 screenings to 62 screenings in venues in both Boston and Brookline and the greater Boston area. The Um, verbs out to Framingham. Yes, everywhere now. All over. (laughs) Uh, 
whatever the Gillette Park is called now. Um, in the past 27 years, the festival has presented over 1,000 films, many of them U.S. or Massachusetts premieres, and have welcomed more than 250,000 audience members. So hello, Ariana. How are you doing? A lot of people. Hi. Fun to be here. Yes. So um, first things first, as we're hoping to get a lot of new members to the greater Boston community to listen to this podcast, um, you are also new to Boston. I am. How long have you been here now? Six months. Six months? I still feel very new here. Wow, six months. Been here a little over a year and still feel very new, so I completely understand. I'm meeting people who've been here for 60 years who will still tell me where they're originally from, which is really (laughs) interesting. In New York, where I'm from, if you've been there 10 minutes, you're a New Yorker, so. That's incredible. What suburb are you from? (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Boston has that, because there's so many more students coming in and out, there's a constant sense of people coming in and out. Because I know a lot of people who have moved who grew up here, moved away, and then came back, and they always just talk about how they've always sort of been here. So, um, six months. So, you you moved here, and you instantly had to throw together this festival. Yes. Um, I moved here April 8th, and I had my first day of work here on April 15th, um, and immediately dived in and started watching... Um, 400 films for this festival. We watched 400 films. It includes shorts. So. Okay. <laughs> that is a lot of screenings, um, a lot of your time. Do you do that like during the workday? Is there a room you go in, in the office and just sit and hunker down? At that point, I was. I was spending most of my days watching movies because we needed to select our films by July. Um, okay. So I only had a few months to do that. Um, yeah. Typically, for a film festival, would you start that process like a year in advance or? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's ongoing. And, okay. Um, you know, we'll go to festivals and watch films there. And then it's really intensive and you're watching eight films a day. Right. Um, but the advantage I had is I was doing similar work in New York. So I knew a lot of these films and knew a lot of the filmmakers. So I had I had a bit of a of a running start. There you go. That's good to know. Otherwise, that would have been very overwhelming to come into. Absolutely. So, how does it work? You're watching 400 films. You do you know the exact number you need to get it down to? Well, we had 62 screenings, so we're ultimately showing 44 films in the festival. So many of them are screening more than once, um, and that we do sort of so people can see films even if they're not available the one night that it's showing and we're bringing guests in so it's nice to have them here for you know more than just one day um so there isn't an actual number that we need to have but that said um we could have 62 or we could have somewhere around 62 Mm -hmm. um we needed to fill up all those slots do you select the time slots with the theaters in advance and then go from there with how you coordinate how many film slots you're filling or do you find your films and then find the slots no we have to book the theaters way in advance but it's it's actually an interesting puzzle trying to figure out what film goes where when you know there's a film that would be great on a saturday night but maybe not a sunday morning and we have to make that work and you know there might be a film that we think the somerville audience would be really interested in but might not play as well in framingham got it very cool um, and you find like a wide variety of audiences coming to all your different films, depending on where in the city they're going. Um, how do you see like the young adult population kind of coming in and seeing all these exciting new films? Um, our young adult audience is growing. Um, you know, the festival's 27 years old, so it's incredible. A lot of native Bostonians remember going with their parents and their grandparents, and the films are still just as cool and relevant to you today. Um, 
So we did grow a, a program specifically for people in their 20s and 30s called Freshflix. Um, and the idea behind Freshflix is really to help identify which films will be interesting to people in this generation and also create a community around these films. So we do a lot of activities that help foster community within these screenings. So um, we'll have speakers come and we'll do one film we're showing called Natasha. Um, we're screening in a smaller theater at Somerville and we're bringing the filmmaker so it's going to be a really intimate conversation with the director. Very cool. And so young adults can kind of be interactive with her and ask questions as they want. Exactly. So he'll be there to answer questions and have a conversation with them. Um, another big event we do for Fresh Flicks is called the Short Film Competition. And this is a really unique, really special, fun event. Um, it's sort of the kickoff to... Uh, the Fresh Flicks program. It's actually only on the second day of the festival on November 5th. Okay, so the festival starts on the 4th and runs through the 16th, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. I was just about to say, we should say when the festival is. <laughs> November 4th to 16th. Excellent. That's incredible. Um, how do you choose, like, what is a Fresh Flicks film? Like, what's going to be attractive to us as young adults in this world? And Or do you just, like, arbitrarily be like, that one sounds great today? I'm sure there's a lot more. It goes behind. <laughs> yeah, like is is it one where you know that you can put into a smaller theater and you can have like the director and it's a little it, it can be more intimate or can it also be something that's just geared specifically you know for people in their like 20s content and 30s? wise. I think it's it's more content driven. Um, I think that you know truthfully any of these films could be interesting to an individual in their twenties and thirties, um, but the content speaks more to the to that age group in these films than to other people. You know Natasha, which I was just talking about. It's a little racy. It's a coming-of-age story. There's a lot of indie music in the background. Very cool. It's, it feels like it's a film that someone my age, your age, would go see. Um, and that might not be as relevant to older audiences, even though I'm sure they could enjoy it as well. So it's hard, because I think that you know culture is for everybody. Um, but we do try to build community around these. Very cool. Well, it's, I was lucky enough to watch the Israeli superhero documentary, and I was surprised that wasn't a fresh flick because, I mean, I understand it has a lot of Israeli history involved and a lot of American history, too, but it seemed like that'd be something geared towards young adults, considering how many, like, you know... Um, comic book movies and TV shows and... Let me clarify. Young adults like you, Jesse. Yes, young adults like me. Well, <laughs> young adults who now seem to be running things, apparently, oh, so... okay. The like nerds podcast. are taking over. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Pod- podcast nerds, yay. Um, so, yeah, so, like, I mean, did you have a limit? You were like, we only want to do, like, six, seven, um, you know, w- movies that we want to have in a big, you know, big theater. We're not going to make these fresh flicks, uh, fresh flicks because, you know... Young adults want something more interactive. I'm just, I'm, I'm very curious about how you decided for the ones that were sort of on the, uh, the cusp. Yeah, on the cusp. So I think, I think there there are many on the cusp, and um, and we did want to keep a limited number to Fresh Flicks because I think we want to see the same faces at those films over and over, um, so people recognize each other and talk about the films they've seen. Um, it is a tough decision, and ultimately, not all of the films that were relevant, like the Hebrew superhero, make it into. The, into the Fresh Flicks program at the same time we were choosing films that I think had a broader appeal within that um, within the Fresh Flicks demographic Um, I think the Hebrew superhero is actually fascinating um, to many people because it does tell such a unique story about um, the development of superheroes in Israel and comic books in Israel and Israeli history through that lens Um, I don't think it has an immediate appeal to everybody though I think you know, I'm not I'm not a comic book reader, and I saw the film and was 
fascinated by it, which is very part cool. of the reason it made it into the festival. Because <laughs> you have that control. <laughs> um, of the Fresh Flix films, there's six, seven Fresh Flix films, right? I think. Well, counting shorts are a whole lot more. Oh, okay. Um, but we have six Fresh Flix films, um, and then, I'm sorry, seven Fresh Flix films and the short film competition. Got it. Very cool. Um, do you want to give us a little preview maybe of like your favorite one that you selected from it? I don't know if it's hard to choose a favorite. It's hard for me to okay. choose favorites. Um, I, I really do love them all. Um, a really interesting thing that's um, emerged this year is uh, genre films within the Jewish film world. Um, we're, doing, we're showing Jerusalem, uh, which is a horror film from Israel. Very cool. Uh, we're doing it in partnership with the Coolidge's after midnight screening, so it will be for those who can stay up past midnight. Which, Ooh, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's a really fun horror film that uses Jerusalem as the setting in a really interesting way, and a lot of it is shot in the old city. Um, Very cool. And then we have a psychological thriller um, called The Man in the Wall, um, which is was shot in just six days in one apartment. Oh my goodness, wow. that seems complex. <laughs> just lock everyone in a room for a few days. It, sometimes, it sort of feels that way while you're watching it. It's an incredible film. That's awesome. So, so let me ask you this. Um, I've been living here for 10 years now, and I'm a huge you know, cultural person, but I've only been to like one or two uh, films during the Boston Jewish Film Festival during my t- uh, during my time here. So, how would you tell people out there who you know might be interested in this, but are you know are concerned about sort of going to something at maybe a place they're not comfortable with or a place where that you know they don't know the directions? Like for me, anything in Cambridge and Somerville because <laughs> I'm th- I have to add thirty extra minutes to make sure I get to the place because who knows? It's a big unknown. It's a big unknown. Like, what would you tell someone who's like? sort of on the sort of the edge of maybe coming because you know they're worried they're concerned about the, those type of things first of all google maps <laughs> i would no, say that one <laughs> as we do, as we were just talking about in this building we're in google maps is not necessarily 100% accurate <laughs> as far as directions go getting to a location um, you can do it that's true the festival is for everybody i mean really the festival is for everybody there's not only is there a film for everybody but it's an embracing community and we look forward to seeing new faces we love our regulars and we're thrilled to bring in new people um these are films that have many different angles to them i think that we're a jewish festival they all have a jewish approach to them as well but there's also as i was saying it's there's a horror film there's a psychological thriller there are films about um israel there are films about argentina um so there's really many ways to to um approach the films and they're accessible i I think to everybody it's awesome incredible. Who would you say of all the films you're showing, like which one has the biggest like international star that people might know? Well, um, other than the, other of, the, than, of yeah. the Fresh Licks films? Um, yeah, we'll go, with the, we'll go with those. All right. Um, for fans of Jane the Virgin, the star, the, the star <laughs> of Jerusalem, who is, if you want to see the, the evil character in Jane the Virgin being chased by demons around Jerusalem, <laughs> that is the film for you. Sold. Check it out. <laughs> um, Richard Kind, who you would recognize from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I think he was on Friends, Mad About You. Um, stars in a really fun film called What Cheer. Um, it's a short film that will be screening at the competition. And um, another star in that film is the band The What Cheer Brigade, um, who play at Honkfest at some, in Somerville every year. Um, 
Richard Kind wakes up after his wife has passed away, and he's being chased by a brass band, and he can't. Oh it, it, it embodies his grief. It's a really interesting film. And if you came to Zero Motivation last year, which was a hit Israeli film about um, young women in HR in the army, um, one of the stars of that film is in another short film um, screening at the competition called What Doesn't Kill You. It just did wonderfully at South by Southwest. Very cool. Very cool. We've been talking a lot about um, the short film competition. Could you tell us a little bit more details about that? How, like, who gets to enter in a short film competition? Are they all Jewish or just Jewish contacts? Like, the rest, like, how, how does that end up happening? Yeah, like all of our films, the filmmakers do not need to be Jewish. Um, we look for some Jewish content in the film. And, you know, if the filmmaker alone needed to be Jewish, we would be able to <laughs> have right. a lot more films in, in competition than we actually do. Um, the films in the short film competition are chosen by a jury of young adults. Um, so I am not selecting those films, um, though I you know, make... I go through hundreds and hundreds of films to sort of eliminate the ones that aren't relevant at all. And then we have a jury um, come together and discuss the films and fight to get their favorite (laughs) film into the competition and ultimately um, come down with a really incredible list of short films. Um, Those then screen at Somerville Theatre on the night of the short film competition. November 5th. November 5th. (laughs) (laughs) Many of the filmmakers will be there. Um, And the winning film gets to play at uh, the short film program on the Sunday following um, at the ICA, and the filmmaker wins a cash prize. Oh, very cool. Um, so I need the, to become a filmmaker. Yes. <laughs> um, not the easiest way no. to make money. <laughs> Probably not. Um, and then um, the audience actually votes for the winning film via text. Okay. And then after the conversation with filmmakers, we all go across the street to Orleans Bar and have a party and free drinks. <laughs> have a fun night. Yeah. So I'm in. That sounds like a great time. Great. I'm, I'm very curious. What um, have you noticed? I mean, you've only been here a year, but I imagine you've done short film competitions before. Have you noticed more of a sort of um, sort of cell phone, smaller type camera feature moving into short films, or is it still like people using actual cameras or people using sort of a, um, a conglomeration of both? What I find incredible is the quality of the short films. Um, I think there is more experimentation with different devices in all filmmaking. Um, but these films, the quality of the films and the um, the devices used to make the films is no different than you would see in anything else. What I find really interesting is short filmmakers will often have a passion project that they want to do and they just don't have funding to make a feature-length film. And they'll make a short film that, you know, is spectacular. And I think, you know, like the art of the short story, the short film, when done well, is can be far better than a very very long feature very cool where like taking like back 10 years like where did your passion for film kind of start and like how did you end up in this world of being an artistic director for a film festival like how did that happen has it been something like that you've always been interested in I don't know as a New Yorker like is this just something that's surrounding you it's such an unknown world to me as a lowly midwesterner (laughs) (laughs) well my passion for film actually started in the midwest (laughs) oh that's amazing never mind (laughs) um you know i think i had been exposed to interesting movies my whole life but i didn't really pick up on it as a passion until i took a chinese cinema class in college freshman year because my friend was taking it that's Um, so great where did you go to school i went to oberlin college in ohio my my midwestern experience (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, awesome yeah and then you know um 
as I took more film classes, I realized that a lot of my understanding of the world came from watching films as a kid, and um, I'd, I'd be reminded of, fi of film moments in real-life experiences and not even realizing that that's where the imagery came from until I saw those films again as an adult. Um, Very cool. It's a nice way to tie your passion in then and make it your career. It's so exciting. Yeah, I've, I've been very lucky to be able to do that. Awesome. Do you have anything else? Yeah, well, I, was, um, I figured we could talk a little bit more about your first six months here in the greater Boston area and like what, like where you decided to live and like how you... So how you have to give away your address. Yeah. <laughs> your exact address Please and apartment send number. <laughs> I, exactly. And it's been a long week. Send wine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you, like you, you take home. With yeah. <laughs> like you were in New York before, so you were moving from one big city to another. But even then, I imagine there was a bit of a. There's always a learning curve to moving to the Boston area. I feel um, both just step in, one. Google Maps doesn't always work. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, luckily you you live. In the vicinity of the red lines, so you never had to deal with the green line issues. Um, when I moved here, I was living off the green line, and the first time I took the T, um, they stopped the T. The driver came out and asked some, the whole train car if somebody can help him shove the doors closed because they weren't closing on their own. Oh my god! Um, and this like sixteen-year-old kid stood there and was like, "Sorry, man, I can't help you." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no, we're going to be stuck here forever. The second time I took the T, the green line wasn't working, and I had to get on a shuttle bus, and the driver asked the guys um, standing there in their orange vests if they could help him by pushing him up the hill. So I was really feeling like I was in the middle of nowhere. Oh, now I'm off the red line, so it's a terrifying <laughs> experience. That, that, I feel like that's two perfect descriptions of what riding the green line feels like. Just random breakdowns that, at least in that case, they were trying to do something. Sometimes I'm on trains, and they just stop and... You sit there for who knows how long until it turns back on. It's weird when they turn the tea off and then turn it back on. I've never understood what they're doing in that moment. They're, they're, they're recharging. No, they're they're literally rebooting. It's like you know, it's like a reset. Yeah, button. yeah. It's, there's like restarting a computer, like after you install an update. I have not experienced that yet. Okay. <laughs> or MBTA. It is Struggles. not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. Um, I'm trying to think. What else about? I feel like we've covered most of the film festival. Just to give people the dates again, it's November 4th through the 16th. Tickets are on sale now at the Boston Jewish Film Festival website, which is bejff.org. Check because, it out. Because bostonjewishfilmfestival.org is too long. It is. Yes. And it's uh, new and snazzy looking this year. Yes. So yes. We've given it a facelift. Very exciting. Well, thank you for talking with us. This was great. And I imagine you look forward to three weeks from now when you can, you know, Sleep. 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 <laughs> Sleep and watch movies for just fun. I so. am really looking forward to the festival itself. You know, I watched these films six months ago when I arrived, and I haven't gotten to hear what anyone else thinks about them since then, so I'm looking forward to everyone's reactions in the audience. Very exciting. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the JewishBoston.com podcast. And please let us know through the email and the Twitter. God, I hate saying the Twitter. The t oh, it makes you sound the so Twitter. old. I know. The Twitter. I know. The Twitter. The Twitter. MySpace. Friendster. Whatever. However you want to communicate. However you want to communicate <laughs> with us. I have absolutely none of those social medias. I didn't even ever have an, a MySpace. Anyways, wrapping up. Yeah. Wrapping up, um, if, if you liked it, um, you can subscribe to the JewishBoston.com podcast in iTunes, or if you have an Android phone, there are multiple podcasting apps that you can uh, search for us by. And um, 
If you liked it, leave us a review on iTunes because that's how we'll get noticed and lifted up their rankings because they don't actually rank by downloads. They cheat because it's Apple. Oh, no. So, yeah, so hey, we hope you enjoy. So, yeah. So, you know, send us a, you know, um, a telegram or, um, you Some know, Morse a, code. Morse code or a um, flame signal, however you want to mm. communicate with us. Those Let us are my know. Favorite. You like that one? Yeah. All right. Well, with that, have a great day. Have a great day. Adios. Adios.